Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, welcome to the 362nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Brian Cates and Andrew Bourne. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have a very long friend of the podcast on, Tony Gepistone. Mm-hmm. His new movie, Last Chance Charlene, just came out. It's available to be viewed anywhere. You can rent movies, Apple, Google, YouTube, Amazon Prime. Check it out. He is someone that has reached out to us to just to say what's up many years ago and he has his own film podcast he has his own film organization it's called brave maker it's a non-profit it's in the bay area and they help filmmakers make films they do a lot of social forward projects tony comes from a faith-based background he was a pastor and he really learned how to tell stories and how to engage communities um and he also made this movie that a about a very personal story from his own life. Um, it premiered at Cinequest. They got distribution from our buddy Glenn Reynolds that's been on the podcast. So he's got a good story. But I do think Matt and I talk a lot in, in this episode. Maybe too much. I, I, afterwards, I, I was like, Tony, so. do we talk about enough about what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, but that that's to me, Tony is a special type of guest where it's almost like a Carlin where he comes up and, you know, we come up with topics and we just mm-hmm. riff on them. And it's not really about a fact finding mission of, you know, how mm-hmm. he staged the scene in a way, you know, or how he pitched this movie, which I, I do love to hear those stories. But uh, we talk a lot about finding people that you can rely on and and how we react when people aren't reliable and when we get kind of disappointed and how we overcome that. And I don't know. I think it's a fun conversation. Yeah, it was a good, great conversation. Um, he's such a warm person, such a giving person. I, you know, I think his background really kind of shines through in a really great way. You know, he's a, he's an open book. He's a, you know, vulnerable person. He, he's an artist. So it was a great conversation. Before we talk to Tony, though, I did want to bring up this weird thing that feels like it's going on in the world. And that is that like the film industry in general, is kind of slow. And you and I have obviously talked about it ad nauseum, but I'm hearing it from so many directors. I know Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. lot in the commercial space. Uh, I'm hearing it from the advertising people, the producers, casting people, not so much from like crew people. I know that somehow they're still working, Um, but I even, you know, film and TV, you're mm-hmm. seeing it on Twitter, you're seeing it everywhere. People just saying that there's a lot of layoffs going on and there aren't as many people taking risks on new yeah. artists, on new scripts, on original I mean, there's work. a couple of things, right? There, There's uh, 
first of all, it's louder because tech is really getting hurt. They're really getting hit really hard. And so like all of the tech, if you ever hop on LinkedIn, it's all tech people who have just lost their jobs. And that's terrible. I'm not making light of it. But like, so it's a little bit louder than that, right? Like the unemployment rate relative to our experiences is a little bit different. Like unemployment's actually pretty pretty good right now, but like it certainly doesn't feel like it. Right. But you know, and unemployment then, is measured by how many people are filing unemployment. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So if you're self-employed, you're screwed anyway. Um, the big thing is like there's the big Netflix correction, right? That basically Netflix released their quarterly earnings. They weren't doing very well. They're doing fewer shows. HBO Max is cutting things left and right. And that caused a real domino effect of everybody's just making fewer and fewer things. So like everyone's freaking out a little bit. And then also I think advertising is a really reactive industry. And we all thought that there was going to be a major recession coming. And so no one spun up their Q1 ads the way they normally do. So I think it's all of those things at once, basically. And I think we are still seeing somewhat of a recession, even if we're not seeing prices plummeting. We are seeing people getting worried about spending money in a way mm-hmm. we haven't seen mm-hmm. much. And I personally, in my entire career, I haven't really experienced this uh, in this way. Obviously, when I was starting out in the mid 2000s, mm-hmm. uh, 2008, there's a housing market crash. There, there's been economic pressures, but I think back in those years, I was a budding filmmaker, so I wasn't used mm-hmm. to you didn't, relying yeah, like, well, on I'm my broke, income. So yeah, yeah. 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 So I was actually kind of in demand because I was a one man band that could do Mm -hmm. everything for very cheap and was just happy I was getting paid. But now when we are not the cheapest option, Mm -hmm. but we're also not the most famous reliable option, we're stuck in this interesting place in the middle that is, does make me nervous (laughs) a little bit. Mm -hmm. We still live in the same extremely expensive city mm-hmm. uh, that we've been living in. Director rates, I have not seen them go up uh, mm-hmm. with inflation or anything of that nature. And people are trying to squeeze more money, more production, more everything out of every dollar. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're, we're in this weird place because we're, we have this amazing job. You know, we get to have fun for a living with the pitch. We get to do art and play with cameras and, you know, have crazy flexible schedules, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of hitting me in the, the being picky about jobs and my whole revolution. I think from a year ago of being excited to say no. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of shattered. I think that, you know, it's so funny. I've had a really hard time being present in the moment while I have time to work on my feature and spend time with my daughter and clean the house and all that stuff. I'm just not there in a way that I would like um, because I'm worried about this stuff. Um, And, you know, you and I are in different situations, certainly. Like, I think you're working a little bit more, but I think, you know, I just came off like a pretty long gig Yeah, I'm still at the end of this month, you and I will have had the exact same number of shooting days this year. (laughs) Yeah. Which will be two. Yeah. 
yeah, totally. Um, and, uh, you know, I was lucky that that was a good job. I'm really, really lucky that that was a good job. Um, but I'm still freaking out. I still, you know, have been like poking around LinkedIn. You know, like there's a lot of like, you know, posting things, applying to things, looking for stuff that's like, you know, maybe a little bit more Hollywood proof. There's a strike looming that's also got people freaked out. You know, the WGA strike. I think it was good for us because we were early in our careers. And so we could run around and make videos about strikes and all of that yeah, stuff. And that was when was I got great. my big break. 2008. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Strike videos. Um it's a different deal now. But, you know, I think that like the good news of being in the kind of mid tier of commercials, I think makes us a little bit flexible and, you know, uh, we just kind of have to hunger down and not spend any money. Go make some money and yeah, and go make some things. And it's hard, it's hard to have the creative freedom and yeah whimsical imagination mm -hmm. when you're like, mm, I should write this thing and you're just like all right well I guess I'll blow 30 bucks on LinkedIn premium reactivate yeah. that or whatever yeah <laughs> well we'd love to hear your stories listeners um, if you're feeling the economical crunch right now mm -hmm. or if Matt and I are just uh, on some sort of blacklist I um, you know I think also it's really tricky because work begets work you know, and so mm -hmm. there's momentum, there's inertia, and um, it can be easy to get into like a weird headspace, you know. But like years ago, if I was in this situation, I haven't worked in a February in a decade, you know. I looked it up. Like my best, my best. <laughs> right. you and I'll your, say this, or my, yeah. my very best financial year, I think it was 2019. And I'm neck and neck with earnings for that year and this one. Yeah. And that is, that is the life of the director. You know, you yeah. make like sure. nothing one quarter and you make it more than you made all of last year, the next quarter. Yeah. And so there is a, so I think we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk in the summer, but like, so in previous years, I'd be like, I'm going to go make a short. I wrote a the pilot. I'm going to go sell that or whatever. And like, you know, I've got a baby, I've got a mortgage. It's a different deal. My expenses are greater. So like staying in the creative mindset is, has been harder. We complain to each other all the time, but you feel the same amount of stress as normal. I feel like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit, I'm having a harder time, frankly, because of the parenthood thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You look at a little baby that you love with your whole heart and you're like, I'll chop my pinky off right now you know, whatever it takes, like, let's, you know, I would do anything to, to take care of this kid. So what do I got to do is kind of the constant thought, you know? Yeah. I think you, right. You've in the last year, you've purchased the house and had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think your life has probably changed in terms of just your, the bare minimum requirements. Yeah. So that's a bigger impact. I also think that in general, I just complain about things way more than you. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a new look on you <laughs> yeah. uh, compared to on me because I'm always stressed out. Uh, we saw we went to that DGA panel and mm -hmm. um, Steven Spielberg was talking about how his happy place <laughs> is being in a constant state of stress. If he wasn't mm -hmm. stressed, he didn't think he would be able to do the work he does. I've never been afraid of stress it's just the longevity of, of it right now is a lot 
um, I have my, that audible show that I thought, oh, wow, between jobs, you know, directing jobs, I'm going to have all this extra time to work on this show. But like we just said, I'm finding myself less inspired because mm-hmm. I'm on the lookout for mm-hmm. these jobs, but really the few jobs that I have this month and last month and the pitch opportunities I'm getting, I think I'm just spending a lot more time on them. I'm mm-hmm. shooting something for every pitch, for every mm-hmm. pre-production, for every board. I am trying to consume media <laughs> because mm-hmm. we don't always have time and a lot sure. in our work. We need to know what shows are and what movies are. And yeah, and I'm trying to go to these DGA panels and see some more movies and watch more TV shows and expose my and be more active on social media, though. I had I had two good weeks and now I've fallen off the social media wagon again. I need to to keep pumping things out. Honestly, like this podcast helps and calling you and you telling me January is always slow helps. Mm -hmm. There's stuff out there. There's. Yeah, I I find that there's stuff that they're looking for, very inexpensive new directors and, you know, Mm -hmm. different directors that they haven't seen before. And or they're going the stuff that does have budgets are going to the famous directors that uh, are all of a sudden available because. Uh, yeah. Everything else is slowed down. I joked with you earlier today that wh- whoever one of <laughs> the directors that can make it through mm-hmm. this year will be the only ones left standing. So I think there is, I'm staking a lot of, investing a lot of hope in our own perseverance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and weathering the storm. But it does remind you, you know, the old uh, Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, if you're familiar with that biblical story of uh, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. It just does remind you how important it is to, you know, plan for mm-hmm. the dry times. Yeah, no, that is the truth. The last thing I'll say about it is that um, on the the topic of perseverance, you know, I went to film school. You did not. When we just had Steve Desmond on, um, who was my class. So the sample size of a hundred people I think that's how many people were in my graduating class of film students. Maybe it was 50, might be 50. It's not that many of us left. So in terms of perseverance, I feel like we already made the cut a couple times over. Yeah, there's more, more of my old classmates, you know, in tech or, you know, went to grad school and became lawyers or something else, you know. Yeah. Um, do they want to finance some of our projects? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, awesome, Great. man. Well, look, let's uh, let's hop into our conversation with Tony and talk about his upcoming film, Last Chance Charlene. But before we do that, one final plug. Go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. It's the place where you can throw a couple bucks into the cup. Keep us going. Yeah. And for the record, this is not money that is... is Going financing Matt and yeah. my life it's it literally yeah. is what we used to pay for our editors for our server fees and for all of these live events that we haven't been having they're coming I had a conversation with a venue uh, owner they're coming coming back anyway patreon.com slash just shoot a pod uh, if this show helps you out right because that's kind of part of the idea as well so yeah at the $20 level I'll mail you a hat mm. that says just shoot it on they're it. going fast they are. We are down to potentially the last one. Ooh, are you going to be the one? <laughs> well, let's hop into our conversation with Tony. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Tony, I honestly feel like you're one of our very first listeners of all time. It very much could be. I was just telling Matt while you were getting your tea that in 2019, when did you start this? 2018? No. You know, we don't really know. No, 20. My my daughter was born in 2016. So 2016? I think I started listening in 2018 then. The first few years we were inconsistent which is why it's hard for us to tell you exactly when yeah. look it up, though. uh and the show was less good you know it takes a minute to figure out how to do something like this uh close yeah. to well it's real good now guys it's a real good oh, come you know, uh thank you for saying so i do feel like lately the show has been pretty good I got to say, so as a filmmaker who is getting to be on the Just Shoot It podcast, I have been a longtime listener and I credit you as part of my film school. I was telling Matt offline that in 2019, you had another filmmaker named Kevin O'Brien. You might remember this, Orrin, who did a film called At End of the Day. He's a commercial director in Miami. He was screening at Dances with Films. I heard him chatting. This is the power of the the broadcast waves i just reached out to him after hearing him on your show we became fast friends he ended up coming to san francisco i flew him out from miami we screened that film three different times three different audiences put a little skrilla a little cheddar 
little Parmesan in his pocket as a film. It was so mm-hmm. cool. It was all because I heard him on your podcast. So I'm a big fan. Wait, you flew him out for the Brave Maker Festival, your festival? That's right. Yep. Yeah, you saw my movie that I my that I made in Menlo Park in what that must have been, yeah, many years ago. And I yeah, see I, in my email you you said uh, at Eric Kissack, thanks for all the stories and stuff on Just Shoot It Pod. Really great to hear, encouraging and challenging. This was in 2018. Oh my gosh! So, so five years ago, go. March. And, and I had a I had a Hammer DVD. I bought a Hammer DVD from you. Holy at that event. <laughs> my house was purchased with money from Tony. Just to clarify, seven years ago is when we first posted our first episode. Obviously, we're going to talk about your movie. We're going to talk about you as a filmmaker and as an actor. But I just think, you know, obviously we've had friends of ours from the film community that have been on and listening for many years. But I don't even know how, how did you even find our podcast? I think I just was looking on, you know, line and it was it was script notes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, yeah. That was one of them. Our, our, ba- our biggest inspiration. Your biggest competitor or, or inspiration. But inspiration. there's some other competitors yeah. you might have that I won't name, but just shoot like, it. You know, was, we're, we're not feeling, you know, it's all nice. Good. I want to talk about that. Good. I want to talk about that vibe of. Yeah. Well, you have a podcast too that's a filmmaking podcast. Yeah. 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 The Brave Maker podcast. Yeah. So I just started listening and, you know, I think I've reached out to a ton of people that I've heard on your show. I had. Carlin and Roxy mm-hmm. on a show where I was learning or asking people to tell me what they learned about making their first feature. And I think I reached out to you guys and you also got me somebody else, Kasim Bazir. And he came on the show oh, and yeah, he just had yeah. a film at Sundance and I got to connect with him while he, I mean, yeah, all because I just shoot it. So I'm super grateful for all the conversations you all have had. It's been awesome. Can you describe what you do? Because I, I think you're, a unique guest in that, mm-hmm. you know, we have a lot of directors on. We talk about the things they direct yeah. and the business and the craft of directing. Yeah. And you do that also. You're also an actor, but you also kind of have, you know, a little bit of like what Alex Ferrari has, right? You have like a little bit of this like film making empire and you, you started as a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Super weird. Yeah. 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 Give, us the, give us the whole story, actually, because I feel like there are holes in my understanding as well, that I'd love plugged up. This is my chance to get the real story. I I grew up in Illinois, quasi Italian Catholic. But then in high school, I had this real kind of spiritual experience uh, while my family was falling apart. I ended up living with a pastor at the time, a Protestant, you know, pastor uh, that really kind of influenced me and changed my life. At the time, I was really going after my destiny, I thought, to move to Los Angeles. I had some family that lived in the LA area. In fact, I'll allude to this later, but my grandmother, anybody knows the Larchmont Chronicle, it's an online publication. It used to be a newspaper. My grandmother was one of the co-founders of that. That's awesome. Yeah. My family, Illinois, quasi-Catholic, went to this, you know, pastor because I had all these family issues, ended up living with him while I was doing uh, community theater. I had an agent in Illinois, ended up moving to Chicago, did a bunch of like industrial print stuff. One of my first auditions was in late nineties for a little film called Primal Fear that Edward Norton booked. And I remember going like how close I was to like, oh my gosh, look at Edward Norton now and his life is amazing. But part of my my story was that dogmatic, traumatic 
spiritual experience where I was basically told if I wanted to be creative, I had to use my gifts and I'll use air quotes, you know, for God in the church setting that, you know, going to Hollywood, going to pursue my acting dreams would lead me into a life of drugs mm-hmm. or pornography. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, resolved to do Christmas uh, pageants and, you know, the Easter. I played Jesus many, many times, many, many, many times, crucified on a cross, that whole story. And it worked for until it didn't. I ended up moving to Northern California and I thought, oh, I'm so close to Los Angeles. Uh, After I graduated with my bachelor's in theology, uh, then I ended up going to seminary And I worked for a church for a good 20 years. And I was like the youth pastor, the college pastor. Then I was the creative arts pastor. Mm -hmm. And I started getting this weird, like, obvious awakening to the fact that I didn't have to be so limited and boxed in. And, you know, whatever you think about God, God is a lot bigger. If you think about God or not, I don't know. I started to see I didn't have to sneak around because I was. I was sneaking to San Francisco and doing all these acting things and hoping nobody would know. This is like pre-internet, so I could do all this stuff. But then when like everyone had access to commercials and print ads and I was in this Napa winery ad and some old lady brought it to the church office, it just <laughs> got super weird Ooh, and complicated. Yeah. And wine, that's probably especially complicated. <laughs> well, come on, right? it's like yeah. Jesus made wine, people. Yeah, sure, sure, that's come true. On. So... I'll just cut to, uh, I realized that acting was something I wanted to do, but I also felt very limited. And I, I understand I'm a white dude with privilege and it's, it, it, I do have a leg up in this space. So I'm aware of that. And it was really, really hard, like really, 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 really hard. And I wasn't getting as many jobs that were satisfying, let alone would, you know, give me any money to really make a living on it. So the long and short is next is I started to write and just go, how can I make my own short films? How can I do this? How can I get on the other side? I made a lot of cool connections in San Francisco in the Bay Area. This is connected to my grandmother who lived in Los Angeles. Uh, my grandmother was dealing with a lot of challenges, um, some substance issues. And in 2012, she took her own life. And as a person of faith, that wrecked me. I also had to deal with all of the fallout of what people think about suicide and how they talk about it, especially in Christian communities. It's like a, it's a shameful thing. It's a, it's a crime. You commit, right? That word. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up going to Sundance in 2013 as a, like a little retreat for myself, first time at Sundance. And that really was like, what? This is a, a struggle that like every filmmaker has, especially um, at the beginning of their career, <laughs> where they hear about Sundance, this like mm-hmm. mecca of filmmaking, mm-hmm. especially in the US. But nine out of 10 filmmakers, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, on this stat I just made up, but nine out of 10 filmmakers say, I'm not going to Sundance until I have to have a film. Sundance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I did go to Sundance in 07. Were you at Comedy Central though? No, I was not. I was at an internet startup and we oh, didn't so have passes. Had... We didn't have a booth. We were just like, basically one of the owners had a condo that was in Park City. So it was like, yeah, we'll all go. And it was fun. Um, but like, we didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. We didn't know where to go. But we had no guide. 
Do you know what I mean? And or even like I feel like there's a Walmart kind of on your way into town <laughs> that like everyone stops at to like get gear. And I feel like we went into town, found parking, realized we were freezing, <laughs> then went to the Walmart, spent like half a day just getting like hand warmers. Do you know what I mean? It was that sort of situation. So I think that there is some wisdom to you know, uh, being prepared and like having someone, a buddy to like, you know, uh, show you where to stand in line or what parties you can sneak into. Now they don't really even do those big parties anymore. Like they all got shut down kind of because they got super, super, super gross, but you know, like, or even just like what bar to go to. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like you, if you just are, in a small ski town that's super crowded and like you can't get in anywhere that can be a, a pretty big bummer so i think that's the other end of the spectrum more and is like just being kind of swallowed up in this this town that doesn't really have the infrastructure for all of the people there even you know and it's expensive it's a lot it's of money super expensive. yeah 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 so i get it i get why people don't go it's cold it's expensive and you kind of feel small if you don't have a film there. Like sure. You're a little person who's getting rejected to the parties, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. But I, how did it go for you, Tony? So I, I want to. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, Tell me, it was great. It was great, and yeah. I because I, yeah. I went with good people who showed me around, and and for for many years I stayed ended up staying with people, so I didn't have to pay you know the lodging, mm-hmm. but you still have to buy the ticket package and mm-hmm. get the flight and the food, and so again, privilege. I, you know, I spend two or three thousand dollars to go to Sundance, mm-hmm. but I'm budgeting that every year as like my one big thing. Like so you still go? That like you? That's like your? I just went this year, my eleventh year. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I did two two years online because of COVID, but that's what I attribute to building this. You know, this community I'm trying to mm-hmm. build, Orin. I, I I went to Sundance. I was you know it was three months after my grandmother died by suicide, and I went into these theaters and you know that was was like i had not made a film yet i was trying Mm -hmm. i was just an actor and i met people who were doing it people who were writing Mm -hmm. it producing it and making it and i could like shake their hands and touch them and ask them questions and they would look me in the eye and treat me like not always like an equal, <laughs> but, but, but sure. at least come off but the stage and connect. you buy them a beer, you know, like, <laughs> so that, that yeah. was where I came back and I was like, you know, that was like my spiritual experience, right? I was like, my life has changed. Everyone's got to go to Sundance. And I tried to get as many people to go, but all those excuses that we just said would always come up. And so that's when I realized, okay, what could I do? How could I create that where I live? How could I also like, connect my desire to be you know the filmmaker the actor and the the creator and also do good because i came from this you know also very oppressive community for people who are historically marginalized you know mm-hmm. I, I was a part of a faith community that didn't allow lgbt people to get married in in their spaces or even become members it's awful and there wasn't a lot of empowering of women and we were predominantly white like this is not good so Brave Maker was born from those desires. Like, how can we do good? How can we, how can I learn and, and not let my ignorance be an issue in the entertainment industry like we often hear and not just kind of add to the statistics that keep people at bay. So that's how Brave Maker was born. And we're doing a film festival. We do fiscal sponsorship. We do a podcast live show. I got to have uh, your wife on, Matt, which was sure. su- super cool, Christine. And then, you know, 
I do these things because I want to learn, but I also want to meet people. And now Christine and I have exchanged notes on our script. It's just super cool. Like how, like this is what I live for. I live for it. It's awesome. I love it. You know, Tony, it's fascinating to hear you speak because you feel that like that narrative uh, and like there's a, a way that you craft your story that feels like a pastor in the way that I was like, Oh, I, I see the arc and I, I I understand the message and I feel better now. Do you know what I mean? Like there's this funny little, there's like, there there we go. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's cool, Matt. I love that. I want to ask you both have some questions for you because there is a side of me that is super over optimistic. And I do, I feel like I, I understand the pain of this job and all the rejection. I hear you two talk about it every week and getting passed over and doing all the work. And that definitely weighs on me. I feel myself, you know, now that I'm three days into my film, be out into the world, it's taken three years to get there. There's been so many disappointments. I, I feel unlike Jesus. I had a couple of Judas's, you know, just mm-hmm. betrayal and things where like, holy cow, how could people be so cruel and so thoughtless? Can you be specific? Can you talk to us mm-hmm. about in terms of understanding? Yeah. You know, is it uh, someone pulled out last minute? Is it, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. 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 And I want to ask you about how you survive. How do you, how do you deal with these things where, you know, you are hiring people, you're paying mm-hmm. people, you're giving people jobs, your, your work is helping other people, you know, again, I say this like not to be super, uh, uh, exaggerating, but like you're helping people live their dreams and all of a sudden they flake. Uh, I had like the unthinkable, like just people pull out and within like weeks of deadlines and they had contracts and I paid them and Mm-hmm. It's just like this is like production people or production, post-production? post-production people, post-production people, like three weeks before we had an online premiere with CineQuest and one of my main people just said, I'm, I'm done. And again, we, we had to work through this. They were at a point of feeling burned out and didn't want to do this role anymore and wanted to do a different role, like acting and directing. And I said, well, join the club. So do I, but you got to sure. do this. You got to, you yeah. got to, you got to make it happen. And, you know, and that's like one of so many people. And then, you know, yeah. So I I was curious for you all in LA, I feel like it's at another level because there's times when I don't have the compassion to deal with the talking and the fluffing, if I could say that, and all the BS that like how many people say, I love your script. And I've had so many friends of mine in LA that I'm working with on something. And it's like the urgency of like, all right, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna move on it. They're gonna they're gonna fund it, and then it goes nowhere. I'm like, I I don't know. I can't deal with that. So mm-hmm. I want to hear some some survival yeah. techniques from you too. Um, well, I mean, I guess there's there's two parts to that question. I, the the fluffery, the 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 phoniness that you're talking about, you know, Orin, I don't know about you, but I guess it doesn't. I don't experience it as much as you think. Certainly, plenty of people are like, oh, we love your script who's in it or like we're interested or whatever, but like, I guess you just recalibrate what they mean. Like you understand they're, they're just saying like, you have yeah. a script. That's all they, that's all they mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know what I mean. 
That is a pretty good distillation of what, <laughs> what any feedback about your script means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's just like there are, I remember an executive once taught me, a good idea is the baseline. That's boilerplate. Mm-hmm. You know, a good, you, you start with a good script. Do you know what I mean? That's not the differentiator. It's, it's just the commonality. Mm-hmm. Everybody, assume everybody's got a good script and the bad scripts just, uh, you know, they're not even in the conversation, basically. Just assume that, right? So what, uh, what are the other things that you need to m- make a movie? You need money. You need mm-hmm. cast. You need a proof of concept. You need some heat. You need some IP. So that's the stuff that is meaningful. You know, I'll say this. It hurts. It really hurts when, you know, you talk to somebody... And you're like, ah, oh, read my script, read my script. I need notes, or like, I'd love for you to work on it, or whatever. And then they don't, they don't move on it at all. And then you know, you're like, oh, so and so read it, and they love it. And all of a sudden, mm. they're like, well, let's work on it together. And it's like, well, yeah. you don't want to work on it because you think it's good. You want to work on it because it's easier now, right? And it's right. easy to, to take that personally. But it's just like, you know, if we all tried to make every single good script that we read in Hollywood, you'd be making 100 movies a year. It's an impossible task. You know what I mean? So so that that's, I think it's easy for people to be like, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of phonies. But they're just, until someone is like, I am making this with you. That's the only thing that's meaningful. Everything else is just like, you know, uh, positive encouragement or whatever, you know. Um, so I think there's that. And then the, the your point about like being disappointed and hurt is hard because we're artists. Yeah. And so our, our, our sense of self and our personality is wrapped up in our art, but it's also a business, right? Like one of my best, yeah. best friends couldn't do a project kind of last minute, kind of last minute. And I... With Matt. Did, with me. And I didn't talk to him for a year and I regret it. I was wrong. I was full on wrong. You were wrong um, for not talking to him. Yeah. 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 For taking it personally. Yeah. For taking it personally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to be like yeah. upset in the moment perhaps, but it's just like the fact is he had another offer that he had to follow through on. It was a better budget. It seemed like it was going to be a, a bigger opportunity for him. And it's incumbent on all of us to take the best opportunity we have because who knows what our future holds. We don't know when we're going to work next. We don't know mm-hmm. what our responsibilities are. And so if you're just like, well, I just want to make small indie movies with my buddies forever. That has ramifications. That's easy to do when you're 20, but when you're 40 and you're like, well, am I going to have a kid or not? You got, you know, you got to get it going. You got to yeah. like, it's harder to make those sacrifices. And so, by the way, Tony has like seven kids. What are you at now? 19. 19 and counting. No, right. I have three. Three right. teenage daughters. So you have three three teenage daughters. And if Oren and I both were like, hey, Tony, we wanted you to, to direct our movies. And I asked you first and you said, yes, I love the script. This is great. And then Oren is like, hey, my budget's $2 million. And Bye. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah. You got it. You got to go. Totally. Right. I get that. There's a, I think there's a difference and you're right. I'm at a level. Yeah. I'm forties, right? I'm, I'm a 40 year old dude who's making indie uh, movies and running a nonprofit and in this unique San Francisco 
community of faith people, and I don't do just faith movies just to clarify, but I have this community of faith that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And it is a different, it's a, I'm in a different echelon and I have to, I have to get better at recognizing the business part, but I'm working with people who haven't made feature films. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm bringing people up with me. Like I, you know, that whole thing about networking across, mm-hmm. I'm bringing people who are here and I'm trying to teach them, well, this is what it looks like to produce a film. This is, if you're going to be the AD, this is what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're slowly coming together, but I learned the hard way. I got burned and I, I won't do that again. I, I'm at a place where the next project I'll work on, I'll be really clear about all the expectations and the budget and the money. And if people have to take a, a bigger job, great. There's this also something, you know, I, you're kind of being priestly to me, Matt, which is great. This idea of all the time. Good job, Matt. <laughs> Father, I have sinned. <laughs> I, I think there is something like we don't lean into enough as the artists and creatives. I feel I do have a little bit of a, um, uh, a step in, which is great is like the, the self care, the, 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 therapy part of all this stuff, right? Like I need to process the hurt. I hear you saying you were really hurt by your, by your friend and that stuff happens. And thankfully I feel like I have a little bit of training in that forgiveness, you know, area, Mm -hmm. but it still doesn't make it easy. And it's a small community of production in the Bay area. It's not like LA where there's a ton. So you see these same people in the circles that we're running and it's tough. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, my my answers to let me hear to your question also drop it uh, and I, and I think there's kind of two different things so I'll address them one at a time. I think there's this aspect of you mounting you know this your feature film debut. You've done all these shorts. You've done all these other things. You're part of this huge community. You have more features coming down. You have scripts. You have all this stuff, and you um, are hiring all these people to work with you and. Half of them are taking it super seriously and overperforming and bringing an A, mm-hmm. a, a plus, 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 plus game. Yeah, and other ones... A who's an a associate producer by the end of the shoot, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other people that are like gung-ho in the beginning, pitching themselves real hard, and then peter out halfway through and, yep. and leave. Yep. And obviously, the, there's two, two factors that come into play here. One is just how much you can pay them. You know, you live mm-hmm. in potentially top three most expensive areas in the entire world, I suspect that on an indie film feature budget, you're not paying these people like enough money to even survive, to pay their rent, to pay their car bills, to get food, whatever they need. So to some degree, they're kind of doing you a a solid by even working on the film for you. Um, And the only thing that they might get in return is career advancement, is being part of something special, is being proud of the film, but they're not the director. They're not the writer. You know, maybe one Mm -hmm. of them might be a star, but most of them aren't. Um, So at the end of the day, the, the prize of being like the, you know, the sound mixer on this movie, the boom operator, the gaffer, the key grip, the colorist, those only hold value if you're 110% solid on this is your career path. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a huge dig I'm about to give, but when I've worked on things outside of LA, um, especially with people that aren't, you know, doing the Marvel movies that come into town, a lot of people realize pretty quickly that this is not the career path they want. And they, they will peter out at some point. And maybe they want to be the sound mixer on this industrials for eBay 
where it's one day of work and they get, you know, $5,000, not 20 days of work for $500, you know? So that is part of why I think mounting like an indie feature film with a a good sized crew, you know, Mm -hmm. 20 people on your post, 30, 40 people in production is easier in a place like LA where people literally moved here to do this and are living and breathing and dying for this. And they want, they want to rack the credits and they want to make the connections and they know that that even though they're not making money now, it's going to lead to their career blossoming. So I was making short films in San Francisco. I was a filmmaker in San Francisco and that's why I moved to LA because in San Francisco, film is an art and in LA, film is a business. And if you want your sound mixer to stay all the way to the end of the movie, you want your visual effects artist to not hop off to do titles for, you know, Google's new project or whatever, they need to be serious about Mm-hmm. what the business, you know, being in business with you. And so that, that yeah. that's one thing that, uh, you know, a lot of these the amazing indie films that you see at Sundance that aren't made in LA, you know, like the bellflowers or movies that are kind of, kind of coming out from different places from the country have directors that are doing it all themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the Shane Carruth's of the world, when he made primer, he did everything, you know, he was a DP, he wrote the score, he edited it, he cut it. So like those are the film and when you have to rely on people, my my brother lived in the Bay area. He tried to be part of a million film groups, tried to do all these Mm -hmm. meetups of let's screenwrite, let's do this, let's do that. And every week he'd call me and be like, Oh, no one's showing up. All of a sudden Mm -hmm. beta breakers is more important than my short film, you know, running naked in the streets of San Francisco (laughs) is kind of appealing compared to screenwriting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's tricky. And that's why Matt and I love working in commercials you know, we, uh, because we can pay those people great yeah. rates yeah. and yeah. then hopefully get them to work for us. And in return, maybe they don't care being the second electrician on an indie film, but they love it when they're the second electrician on a big budget commercial that we can bring them on to. So, so that, that's, that's that half of the equation. Matt, I, well, I was, I was going to say, yeah, just Tony, it sounds like you were, it sounds like maybe some of this stuff happened in post, mm-hmm. but that you, you had a deadline coming. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing that's tricky is that assuming this is a big assumption, but I think generally speaking with indie films, you know, if you're not paying people great rates, part of the trade off is a little bit of flexibility, right? Like, would your hypothetical person who is required for finishing um, have finished it if they had? six months to do it and they could go take that job and go you know zen out for a little bit and go snowboarding and see their family and then get back to it and and kind of just take their time and get it done eventually you know like my web series similar situation we didn't nobody made any money on it but like when my editor had a busy week at work and he couldn't cut that weekend we just pushed it right but when you've got Cinequest Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, Which congratulations, by the way. Yeah, That's con- an awesome, awesome festival. My festival. first, the first festival I so ever cool. played was. Oh, you did? The Hammer? Short, was there? Uh, oh. No, it was a short film when I lived oh. in San Francisco. So the first cool. festival I went to that I was like, holy fuck, this is fun. Yeah. Cool. We so got fun. distribution because of. Who doggy. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats, Tony. That's great. Yeah. But yeah, so you you're, hear my point is like, totally. there's the, the flexibility. Yeah. And we're really, we're saying art versus business. Yep. Film festivals are business, right? I want to be business. I I, I want to be, I want to be both, but I'm learning like, okay, I just want to be a little more cutthroat. That's it. I, and I want to get more money <laughs> and I want to do bigger films and I want to be able to pay people. Like 
two two things. Side note: Shane Carruth. That was the first film I saw at Sundance. It was Upstream Color, his second feature uh, after Primer. Mm-hmm. That was the very first film I saw in the Egyptian, which changed it all. But you know how people always talk about like the you know it's a Martin Scorsese film or whatever. Like when when a filmmaker puts yeah, that the at name the, above the title, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's all there's kind of like it seems like there's two sides. I don't know if it's you know binary or not, but. People are like, well, it's my movie and my name goes on it. And then other people say, no, it's a collaborative effort. You shouldn't put your name on it. Mm-hmm. When I first started filmmaking, it was all like, yeah, Tony Gapastone film, Tony Gapastone film, all my shorts. When I made my feature, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because I wanted to really share. I was like, how can I really know? But it people? doesn't matter. You it know doesn't that, freaking right? matter at yeah. all. It is yeah. a Tony Gapastone yeah, Tony that. G film. Exactly. No matter what. But I didn't also, put my name on it like that. I've been thinking like, about it. You should have. Um, yeah, exactly. Because I've I've been thinking about this weirdly a lot lately. It's just it's just branding. It's just marketing, right? Like if you want to make more movies, like anything you can do to be memorable to stand out for people to be like, oh yeah, Tony, he made that movie. Yeah. That just helps you a little bit more, and it takes nothing away from your dolly grip or even your editor. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Who didn't see the movie anyway, guys? What? <laughs> where where were you guys when I was in? I, I needed this advice. You should have had me on the podcast before I made yeah. the film. Well, the, Sorry, the other advice, which is impossible to take, but it's like you cannot take anything personal um, or else you'll never make yeah. it in this business. And I mean, I take yeah. every single thing personal, uh, yeah. personally, but I try to not be angry. I'm just disappointed. And I try to yeah. figure out what I could have done differently when I have the opportunity again, when I get disappointed like that. I I agree with that. And I I thank you for saying that. I think if we all could just recognize usually most of the times, you know, I've made mistakes, believe me. I, there was one day we had to work a really long day. It was 16 hours. I will never do that again. Most days were 12. There was one 10 and one eight hour day. Mm -hmm. Right. But that one 16 hour day, there was someone who was super pissed off at me and I get it. I understand. I should not have done that. It was indie film. We had to, you know, whatever. So I know I am not fully in the wrong. Were they mad at you because they felt like there was something you as the director could have done to make it go faster? Like that you weren't prepared in some way or that you were mm-hmm. trying to, you're too much of a perfectionist or I'm you not. scheduled too not. many things. It was just, we scheduled it long. We had a camera issue one night. We had a, a scene that just, we had to take our time because it was super emotional and it just went longer because actors needed it. And it was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. fine. But it, it wasn't like, was it the plan that you were going 16 hours or just, it was just, it was not the plan. No, yeah, no, 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 it was yeah. not. And we, the, re, the reality is we couldn't have picked it up the next night. We just mm-hmm. had a very tight schedule. I, I'm saying like there are times when it's, it is my fault that people are mad. But I think, Oren, you're saying 90% of the time, it's like there's things going on in someone's life. And to circle back to that person in post who I felt betrayed by, you know, nine months later, they contacted me. We had a sit down. They apologized. Uh, and they said, you know, you didn't deserve that. And I appreciated that that happened. So that's the hard part about this stuff, man. Yeah. And again, why once you have budgets, you have the, sometimes you don't have the privilege to not use someone because they're the only person you can get. Well, Tom's the only guy with the boom mic. So uh, (laughs) I wanted to just touch on the other thing. And I think this is the answer that Matt answered that I don't know if you were even asking Tony, but about like the flakiness and the fakiness of like the LA, the Hollywood people. Yeah. Like, I guess what, what I feel like I've learned is that 
there's only two things that really matter uh, in, in that regard. And it's either incredible work mm. or an incredible reputation. Mm. And in a perfect world, you have both of them. Mm. You know, you are like a Tarantino or, or someone like that, or Ryan Coogler. You know, you, people will hire you because they'll, and read your stuff because they know who you are. They've mm. seen your, your stuff before. Or you have an incredible script. It's on the blacklist. It's uh, someone reads it and is like, wow, this is the most amazing script I've ever seen. I'm going to read it. And like you, you, Matt said, you know, the baseline is a good script, which I kind of, kind of agree with. I mean, I think we can all point to movies that we think don't have great scripts, you know. Sure. Um, but there was, a, there was a good reason that it got greenlit in the first place. Like, there's a difference between like, oh, it's not my taste. But I would argue mm-hmm. that like every movie that gets made in the studio system there's a strong argument that that it's good on its own terms basically do you know what i mean yeah or that basically like you know i guess i'm just saying like but what about outside of the studio system like in any any movie that's been financed by someone outside of the, the filmmaker themselves what i'm saying is is that there are so many good scripts out there that you can't make for whatever reason, right? You can't attach talent or, you know, a movie that was similar just came out and flopped or whatever. There's just, there's too many great opportunities out there. And so you have to be decisive in other ways. That's all I'm saying, right? Like, obviously yeah. there's terrible scripts out there in every person's weekend read, but like, hmm. I'm just saying there's an abundance, an overabundance of really good scripts. How many scripts are on the blacklist? Um, a hundred. Right. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's say Is it let's really hundred. It, it, no, it's like thirty, but it, it, it's like a long list, right? But so, like, we don't make that many original movies, and the point of the blacklist is like these are movies that are unproduced, unproduced that everyone so, loves, and that yeah. everyone loves, right? These are the best screenplays that people wish they could make. Yeah, but every single person on the blacklist has an agent, and mm-hmm. they are talking, making deals with real. players um to write other things but but there's the step before that you know uh where you are just trying to get people to take you seriously and it's really easy to be frustrated by people not taking you that seriously and i think the way i deal with that like, like being in la for so many years i've been here for almost 20 years you know in the film industry i've just kind of come to understand like what what moves the needle and what people care about. And like, I love Matt, the way you put it that like, Oh, you wrote a script. Congratulations. You know, that doesn't mean anything. Um, and so I never get offended by someone not wanting to invest in my idea, not wanting to read my script, not because we get things sent to us all the time that we don't want to read and we don't want to invest in. And we're, and you know, who are we? We're nobody. So it's like, if we're not, going to find the time to like go take two hours out of our night. And instead of watching, you know, poker face or white Lotus or whatever, I'm going to go read some schmuck script. Like, of course, uh, someone, you know, that actually Mm -hmm. has money to invest in film isn't going to do that. Yeah. That, that stuff doesn't bother. I don't think people are being phony. I think people are actually being almost honest in that they are not pursuing things that they don't know how to make money off of. I'll take that any day though. I'll take the no I'm saying I'm getting a lot. Okay. So early on, I guess I what I'm trying it. to say, Tony, is that it's all, it's no, unless it's hell. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's it. That's the problem. 
The, right. the challenge for me is I gotta, I need like, hey, Siri, please interpret. We loved your script. We want to talk to you. What does that mean? You know, yeah. I get so many of that. I did a lot of co-writing. So I have four or five scripts that I wrote with partners. I'm not doing it anymore, particularly mm-hmm. because it's just challenging for me. I like writing my own stuff and owning my own stuff. But we have had so many calls. Like, honestly, one of my scripts has been in three different production companies and option and option doesn't pay anything and they're shopping it. What does that even mean? But every time, you know, one of my partners will say, Oh my gosh, they love it. We got to get on the phone call like tomorrow at 10 or today at three. I'm like, what, what everybody, every, the, the urgency. And then it goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. That well, part I mean, is what gets me. I, the problem is, is that like, you do have to do that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's yeah. it is frustrating. I think part of it is like having that's why people will have a slate that they're developing, right? Like I'm working on one movie right now. I had but lunch with a friend, and they were at a company. She was like, "Oh, this is cool. Send me the script later." If I wait on that, if I send it to her, and it takes her three weeks to read it, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm just like wasting a month when I could have been, yeah, doing something else with it. You know what I mean? But yeah. so if I was writing the next screenplay while that was happening, then maybe it's okay. But like you do, there, there is the urgency. There is the hurry up and wait of it all, you know, I think. Yeah. But what we've heard on this podcast a thousand times is, a, you know, it, right. The idea of a general meeting where you're just meeting someone for no reason other than you think you might, you know, have fun things to talk about to each other. And we've heard of so many people making a deal with someone they had a general meeting with 10 years later. So yeah. that we love it. Let's talk. What else do you have? Sorry, we're not interested. Process is like a general meeting, you know, except with with a catalyst to get that meeting going. But it just it, to me every because I've had so many of those things happen. Now I have a list of like 30 people mm-hmm. that I can send a script to, you know, like Matt and I are going to meet up with my old manager, Jacob, you know, who you know, we worked with together and then we kind of went our separate ways. But if he is in, you know, an interesting place or I have some interesting material to send him, that's still a relationship that exists, mm-hmm. even though a lot of the things I sent him, he wasn't that into or some things he sent me, I wasn't that into. Just the dialogue is the important thing to take away from it, especially if you think of this as a career yeah. and not a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll have an awesome screenplay that... uh is a thriller action comedy with a, a, a leading male that matches his exact, like who's looking for a movie that's in the five to $10 million range. That's ready to go in August. Maybe we have that. Right. <laughs> but like that every, all of these companies have these mandates. They all have like the thing they're looking for because they have a deal with this company or that company or whatever. And some of it's just the luck of the draw of like, Oh, I actually do have this thing. Anyhow, Tony, I know we've been talking a lot about our opinions on I love it. Give me it. Do you want to tell us for a second about like what Last Chance Charlene is about and the distribution and kind of how like we're interested in the in the financing and the distribution side of things, too, you know? Yeah. This was your first feature that you directed. My first feature. Yeah. So we got into Cinequest, which is a Bay Area. Did you have a hand there? Do I see a hand? No, I was saying congrats. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I... I love that we got into this, you know, big regional Bay Area film festival because it was 20 minutes from my house and they had an online premiere first because they actually 
it was 20, what year are we in? 2023. So 2022, it was like, like the last cancellation, I think, you know, again, so they made an online version, but then they decided we're going to also do the April online with an in-person in August. Great. That's so right. August of yeah, 2022. Right. We got, you know, the huge screening in San Jose and there, Glenn Reynolds from Circus Road Films. Oh, hey. Yeah, he's oh, been great. on the podcast. Yeah, he's been, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he he just contacted and said, hey, I'm interested in the film. And that was before we actually won the audience award. So he saw it before we won the audience award. And we started the conversation about him being our sales agent. And I know I think you all worked with him too. Sure. Matt, we did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For yeah, yeah. See you next Christmas. Is, yeah. Um, yeah. It was a Glenn project. So yeah, it was a cool experience. The film is about a actor who's trying to break in as a screenwriter but you know so i like the hollywood vibe i mean i love mm-hmm. like oh gosh i love party down like those kind of i love hacks like i love that kind of quirky hollywood set vibe mm-hmm. characters like i love that kind of thing so i wrote last chance charlene about that but i threw in the fact that she had to mourn her brother's death by suicide and try to how do you break into the industry and salvage your marriage and keep from going insane? Because that was what I was experiencing in my own life when my grandmother died. So it was cool. It was a really fun, um, sounds weird to say that, fun movie about suicide. It, it, it won the comedy award by the audience, which was kind of weird. It, it's funny, but there's a lot of drama to it too, I think. <laughs> And it's been a good, you know, experience. Can you tell us what the budget was? Yes, I can. If you ask me just about the money, I, I just tell people, honestly, it's $80,000. But my crew and cast keep saying, we got so much for free. Like we mm-hmm. only paid, I mean, barely paid for food or locations, yeah, lodging. And hard costs, but yep. sweat equity and donations <laughs> of all. all, all yeah, I paid yeah. one one location fee. That was for a cemetery. It was only $100. Everything else we got for free, like huge buildings, a cafe. Do you think that is like a regional thing? Do you think people were excited that that you were shooting? Awesome. It's not LA, right? It's Redwood City, California. It's San Francisco Bay Area. So it was kind of like, oh, and we had Allie Mills from the Wonder Years. Mm -hmm. So everybody, you know, I just would put her face on all of my emails and all of my promotions. Like, do you want to give free Chipotle burritos to Ali Mills <laughs> from the nineties wonder years? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that um, worked. Yeah. I mean, I think there is something about the hometown feature that, um, that's maybe the, the upside of yep. it not, not living s- in LA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. shout out Deep to your man. editor, Noah Bayshore. That's what he did. That's right. Yeah. Um, keep your eyes peeled. Watch the space, everyone. Do you feel like now that you watch the movie, I mean, you won the audience award and it's Cinequest. That's awesome. When you watch the movie, do you feel like if you had another $100,000, like, you know, what would be different about it? Gosh, that's a really great question. I have never thought about that. I don't know what, to be honest, what I would do. I would probably shoot, uh, reshoot a couple things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost... Oh gosh, I lost this beautiful golden hour shot sequence that nobody knows. It just disappeared. It just diminished. Oh, like like a card got reformatted or something yep. like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the worst. <sighs> yeah. We also lost our film three months in because there were two hard drives that were in the same computer and they weren't labeled. And the uh, editor was reformatting what he thought was a new. Yeah. Let me just tell you, 
let me just tell you that I, like for three months of work gone and it like you lost your edit, but you saw the footage. every freaking thing. But we saw the footage. Yeah. We shouldn't have to say this, but every filmmaker listening, just stop right now and make sure you have your <laughs> films backed up on multiple hard drives and multiple hard <laughs> and drives. Label them. Also, I was just texting with a friend. Um, the the Amazon cloud storage is uh, 99 cents a terabyte. I know oh, wow. a terabyte. It's very cheap. That's so mm-hmm. cheap. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like uh, maybe 99 cents a month or something. It's like. So five terabytes, $5 a month. Boom. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, you just have to have a super fast, like a fiber connection. But also just put yeah. your project file on, yeah. on a Dropbox folder, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, right. We all should know this, but you know, I was the 1% that didn't have that done. Yeah. You're, you're part of the problem. You're the one percenters. <laughs> um, so Tony, now the movie, you said you got distribution. What, how can yeah. people watch it? What's the, it's everywhere. It's on Xbox y'all. How, how, how are people watching movies on Xbox? But it's, it's Amazon, it's Apple, iTunes, you know, Google, YouTube, everywhere. Voodoo. So when you say everywhere, you mean it's all the places you rent or buy movies. Basically. That's right. Rent or awesome. buy. Yeah. What's the what's the cheapest way to watch it? Where I think you? it's two ninety. It's like two or th- three ninety nine somewhere to rent. But come on, buy it for twelve ninety nine. Throw 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 me a little <laughs> bone here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it all goes to the nonprofit. That's right. We get to Great make maker. more movies if you watch Last Chance, Charlene. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Did you, you guys listen to Making Movies Is Hard? I used yeah. to. Yeah. I haven't. They just had an episode where Alric got his first uh, distribution report. And was oh. quite disappointed. Oh no, really? Yeah, and I, I enjoyed. I, I love that. I feel like that's what I, I try to talk about on our podcast. Is yeah. like the, hey, this was awesome, and this is how this happened, but this sucks. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, hey, let um, me say about distribution. Okay, so we didn't get a minimum guarantee, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like they're like, we're going to give you any money. <laughs> like you should be happy. We're taking your film and your files, mm-hmm. and we're putting it out into the world. Like, okay, yeah, I was pretty grateful for that. But then I got a bill for like the quality check. <laughs> like yeah, you I had to, to then to pay. Stuff, you yeah, yeah. 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 It's not like you just get to put it up on YouTube. There's QCing. There's like yep. all sorts of other issues. Yep. Did you have to pay for that on See You Next Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, of course. But it yeah. doesn't come out of the money that they make. They don't advance it for you. Nope. You have to cover so it. I didn't get that. It, de- it depends on the deal that you strike. Ours was in advance. Best situation is you get an MGE. Second best is it's like, okay, well, they're the company is at least willing to invest the costs of getting the film up, up onto whatever platforms. And, you know, you can negotiate with them about like, oh, well, we don't have money for Portuguese subtitles. So, or, you know, or whatever, like you can kind of because yeah. you, you have to be careful because you could rack that bill up that could yep. get really, really, really expensive and really mitigate any chance at any sort of. Problem. Yeah. And sometimes so. these distributors are not caring about making money on selling the film. They are making money on processing the film and having <laughs> the filmmaker pay them for it. Yeah. Right. I yeah, think it's yeah. crazy. It's a whole yeah. thing. Yeah. You got, you got to keep an eye out for it. Uh, Tony, let me ask, have you thought about DVD and Blu-ray? Are you doing that stuff? As yeah, well? we have that too. Yeah. Yeah, at Walmart and Best Buy yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, it's surprisingly profitable. That's There's awesome. a market. I think Middle yeah. America, right? I've had a lot of people say, "I want a hard copy." I'm like, "Great, yeah. buy it. Thank yeah. you." Yeah. Um, and my my last question before we jump into our unpaid endorsements is: I think even though we haven't had a lot of people like you on the podcast, I think 
there is a huge, you know, part of our audience, but a huge segment of creative people in America that like, that are in the nonprofit world and wish that they could somehow do creative things and be involved in film and do, can you just take like a minute and explain to us how, you know, you, cause you, I'm, I'm assuming your whole life, you know, you have three teenage daughters and you live in the most expensive city in America, Palo Alto. <laughs> um, and, ha- and you have this huge organization, but you're also making indie films and acting like, mm-hmm. how, how do you set up, is it difficult to set up like an organization that as part of its mission is creating art, you know, and film and, and allowing you to d- write and direct? I just go back to Sundance. Sundance is a nonprofit. And so I still basically I stole like an artist and I got inspired by what they do. We, we do fiscal sponsorships. We do labs for filmmakers. We do film screenings. I do a ton of community events through Brave Maker. Go to bravemaker.com and see it all. And it's really dependent upon generosity of individual donors, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, flat out. And then our corporate sponsors, like we get, you know, it's public knowledge. You can find it. we, our budget is like a quarter of a million dollars every mm-hmm. year. And half of that is going out to film and, and filmmakers. So the film projects that we are helping and sponsoring and the events that we're doing, we, we have in-person acting classes, screenwriting classes on zoom. We're doing a ton of stuff with youth, youth internships. It's super fun. It's, and it's, it's very satisfying and I get to make films. Mm-hmm. Most of the films like, yeah, I'm doing my own stuff, screenwriting and directing my own projects but I become a producer on all these cool short films. Like we just did a, a teen led short film, like a 15 year old made this amazing script about domestic violence. And we walked through the writing of the story and putting together a crew and making it and post. It was so, so fulfilling. And then he ended up casting me in it too. So I got to act in it. It was awesome. So I love this work, but if anybody's interested, we're in the Bay area, look us up, but we have people who work remote from New York to Grand Rapids, Michigan, to Austin, Texas, to here in the Bay and they're doing great stuff, working together. It's awesome. And was that, did you like get a lawyer or an accountant to help you? Oh yeah, set yeah, up yeah. That? We have all the paperwork. You don't have to have a board of directors. You know, we did all the filing with the IRS and stuff. So we're official and I did all the nonprofit paperwork in April of 2018 and we got our official uh, paperwork in November of 2018. That is uh, incredible, Tony. Putting together sponsorships, like turning it into a, an engine is pretty wild, man. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And how do you get, you know, sponsors? Like, I mean, yeah, it's come down to storytelling, right? In circling back to my faith roots, churches are nonprofits. Many mm-hmm. people don't like that. And I could understand why I came from this background of recognizing people's generosity fueled the things that we did in the community. When faith communities are at their best, they're hopefully serving others and taking care of the poor and those who are marginalized. I go, oh, that's all I know. I I don't speak investments. I don't speak, you know, Wall Street, but I can speak and tell people a story about how you can use your money. And like we did two nights ago, empower two black filmmakers to share their short films about black history and get 80 people in a room foster youth and talk about how you can change like this one guy, Damian Smith, he did a a short film about the crown act, which is basically helping black people be protected to wear whatever kind of hair they want in the workplace and not be uh, experiencing prejudice or being fired because of locks and cornrows and stuff. It was awesome. And when I tell people, this is what we're doing, it's not always easy, but a lot of people want to do good. 
A lot of people do. And just to be crass about it, also, uh, because you're a nonprofit, it's a tax write-off, right? So essentially it's, it's, it's not, I don't want to say it's free money, but it's like, there is that game of companies coming in to support you and to get something back in return. They can say like, look at all of the good we're doing. We're, you know, we're not just an evil corporation. We're also helping these causes that you were just espousing. Right. right. Yeah. Which is the design. That's the plan. That's right. (laughs) When they work the best, you know, people take advantage of that. Yes. And, are we experiencing a downturn, right? There's a lot of challenging things happening in the market. I've had a lot of our sponsors cut back and some not be able to come mm-hmm. on to the film festival as a presenting sponsor. Like one said, we can't be the executive producer, but we can be the film buff, which is like three tiers below because mm-hmm. they have all these layoffs, you know, Instagram's yeah. up here, they're laying off. So it, it's still challenging to do the work we do, but somehow this is where my optimism maybe is my coping mechanism it's working out i'm living the dream but living the dream is a hell of a lot of work it's worth it (laughs) incredible tony awesome well it was such a treat to have you on the show can you hang out and endorse with us you know it um before we get into that uh, how can people keep tabs on you um how can they make sure that they're following all of the brave maker goings on yeah brave maker org on all the socials brave maker org org on all the places even the tiktok we're on the tiktok and i'm tony capastione everywhere just find me <laughs> g-a-p-a-s-t-i-o-n-e tony Capason. and i'll tweet back at you or instagram i'm very accessible yeah. bravemaker.com awesome. seems to work also that works too unpaid endorsements yeah i'll kick it off with a twitter thread um from natalie gordon This is from Natalie Gordon. She says, hey, creatives, get in the habit of turning your fave TV, film, ad, music video techniques into GIFs that you can use when you're presenting scripts. Here are some of my faves I've used recently. Feel free to steal. And then it is just a ton of awesome looking GIFs of all of the different techniques and trick shots Mm. that were constantly like, ah, man, I'm really trying to show, trying to explain, um match cuts to people or or uh super zoom a super zoom a pov or uh body wipes these are the really obvious ones but they, <laughs> you know like no i literally today shot a test because i've been working on this project for like two months and i still feel based on the notes we're getting that no one has any freaking clue what we're shooting <laughs> i'm like the, your notes don't make sense for what this is going to look like and so today i just had to shoot it but yeah yeah, good to see But yeah, so this is a uh, we'll, we'll post it in awesome. the show notes. Yeah, very cool. You know, when you go to you log on to Facebook and someone's like, "Hey, uh, can anyone tell me a movie where like the camera mm-hmm. goes upside down as a car drives underneath the jib?" Yeah, yeah, it's from Training Day. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> that's me in there. Are you um, the one that I think you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is just a compendium of uh, a handful of really, really awesome versions of that, basically. Okay. I'm going to shoot a few. I got coffee bean ice cream from Trader Joe's. Please tell me you've had this because you always do Trader Joe's stuff or this yeah. ice cream 
is like heroin, cocaine, all of it together. I just discovered it. Supposedly, it's been like famous forever, but it's awesome. Coffee bean blast. Does it have little bits of yes. coffee bean in it? Yes. Whole beans or like little crunchies? No, little, little, little tiny ones. Mm-hmm. Are they coffee beans or chocolate chips? No, it's their, it's coffee. Coffee bean. Coffee bean blast. That's the name of it. Coffee Do you think bean. it's caffeinated? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's okay. great. It's awesome. Okay, check, check it out. out. Right now, I'm on the Talenti coffee uh Ice cream kick, but uh, oh, the little tiny ones, the super yeah. tiny, cool mm-hmm. look gourmet ones. Yeah, Trader Joe's. I well, I overbuy things as everyone knows, but I I gotta go for those chocolate, the chip witches, you know, they're like chocolate chip cookie ice creams. Do you like boba? Do you guys like boba? I'm not a boba guy. Boba, okay, never mind. I, I, I like I'm I like it. I don't go out of my way for it. They have I a don't boba know if ice cream for me or not. It's probably not. It's like gummy bears. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. I don't think it's good. <laughs> they have a boba ice cream too. That's good. Okay. Second one I want to say is this vid dot no vidyo.ai. I'm sorry. I'm jumping on the AI train, but it is so great for those of you who are social media people and don't have all the time to edit your YouTube videos into the short squares or or story um, things for Instagram. It's an AI thing. All you do is like you put in your YouTube clip. Mm-hmm. Like I have a ton of YouTube videos and it just, you know, pumps out a bunch, reformats. Yeah. Vidyo, V-I-D-Y-O dot A-I. One of wow. my uh, Brave Maker team people showed it to me. I'm like, yep, use it. Go for it. Like they basically mash up all of the things we're doing during the week into these little clips mm-hmm. and it's great. It's super easy and I love it. And then I want to, I want to endorse Hulu's Extraordinary. Have you heard of this comedy? It's like a 30 minute British show. It's awesome. It's hilarious. It's about everybody in the world who gets a superpower when they come of age, except for this one girl. Oh gosh, it's so good. It's so funny. That's it. Mm. So the creators are it's fancy. Funny. I'm trying to remember who the creators are, but it was like, oh, this is it's fun. Yeah, it's clever. It's clever. Called Extraordinary on Hulu. Cap, what you got, buddy? Okay, podcast.adobe.com. I feel like it's been all over social media, so everyone knows about it. But it's where you can go to request access for Adobe to Adobe's uh, AI powered audio recording and editing, all on the web stuff. Even without requesting access. You can access two tools. One is called Mic Check that you just run it. It tells you to read something and it tells you how good your mic technique is. Like, hey, get closer to the mic. Get like It measures echo, reverb, levels, all sorts of things. Um, and it just kind of helps you fine tune. Even if you're using AirPods or whatever, or your built-in laptop mic, it'll just give you some tips on how to sound good. Um, and then there's another module that's like the brain-busting one. It's called Enhanced Speech. You upload an audio clip to it and it will process it to remove to basically make it sound amazing and it works like three out of four times but like you can have echo reverb you can literally like i saw someone record like with a camera mic from like 20 feet away like jalen hurts after the super bowl talking on some podium with like all these other reporters and flashes and all this insane stuff going like you cannot understand anything he's saying someone put it through this enhanced speech plug in and you can hear them crystal clear it's it's pretty amazing and like one tip if it sounds a little too processed for you try layering it on top of your original audio uh and you know play with the levels until it feels real but also clear at the same time so podcast.adobe.com and the enhanced speech tool under quick tools is what i'm think you should check out if you are if you care about your life how much does that cost it's free Wow. No matter how Only long the clip endorse is. free things. <laughs> Get out of here. Today. 
Sorry, you got to pay for the coffee bean ice cream, though. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Tony. If you have questions for Tony or us, you can email us at justshootapod at gmail.com or across all social media at justshootapod. And you can hit me up on social media at Mr. Matt Enlo. And I'm on Twitter. I'm at Smitty Pileg. On Instagram, I'm at O'Kaplan. And this episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Our producer is Tyler Small. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.